The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to be inspired, uplifted, and motivated to greatness? It's time for Star Style. Be the star you are. With your effervescent personal growth coaches, the Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and health specialist, Heather Brittany. Define your vision, discover your passion, and design your future in this power-packed hour of life-changing talk radio. Featuring authors and success experts dedicated to helping you achieve the results you deserve. Be entertained, edutained, encouraged, and empowered. Smile, have fun, and celebrate you. Explore your potential and embrace your possibilities with your hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on Star Style. Be the star you are, starting right now. Hello, Power Partners. Welcome to Radio's Finest Hour of Power. It is Star Style. Be the star you are, a program of positive book talk. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Helen Whitney. And we are thrilled to be your personal growth success coaches right here on the airways with you every single week. We have you on our radar and we want to reveal to you that dreams come true because you have the power. So, We're going to fix what's broken, heal what hurts, and help you become the person you're born to be. The Miracle Moment is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching you to success. For more information, visit StarStyleProductions.com or contact 925-377-7827. And our show, or the Miracle Moment, I have to say it, is from Cicero. I look upon the pleasure we take in a garden as one of the most innocent delights in human life. And um, that is so true. This this last three weeks, as most of you already know, I have been going crazy with my computer. And today is no, I thought it was all fixed and it's still not. So what an issue. I keep going into my garden just to feel a little bit better. And speaking of gardening... Today's show really is all about the earth and gardening. You're going to meet Ed Rosenthal. He is an expert in the cultivation of marijuana. And he has written an easy-to-use troubleshooting guide that has nothing to do with marijuana, but it's called Protect Your Garden. I think that he probably learned all the a lot of the skills from what, he, what um, they do for those kind of the most expensive crop. And we're going to meet the smiling gardener, Phil Nawada. He's the author of Building Soils Naturally. So it's an organic date. It's an innovative methods for organic gardeners. And it's going to help us grow the best quality food so right from the ground up so that we can be healthy and happy. And, of course, we don't want to forget kids in the garden. So Heather and I are going to talk about some simple suggestions to help make eating fun and healthy for kids. So, Heather, you know a lot of kids and a lot of her parents, mealtime is a battle time because – Kids don't want to eat what you prepared. But 
if you offer your family farm-to-table freshness, and I believe that if you teach kids to grow their, some of their own vegetables, fruits and vegetables, when they're young, they're going to want to eat more and enjoy it. So let's talk about um, healthy eating tips and how to get your kids, encourage them for a, a lifetime of kind of, of good, healthy eating. Yeah, well, the bottom line is we need to stop with the old nagging kids to eat healthy because, oh, we know that never works. Usually the more you tell them not to do something or the more you tell them you want them to do something, the less they're going to do. And so it's kind of starting from the beginning, what we talk about building these healthy relationships with healthy food and with your kids. Um, as we talked in a previous uh, radio show before, about starting in the prenatal, about eating really healthy while you're pregnant. Studies have shown, you know, when um, women actually eat uh, or drink uh, carrot juice the last four weeks of their pregnancy, when they start to introduce that to children, um, eating carrots, you know, mushed up carrots, that the kids actually re- reacted positive to it and were less likely, you know, to refuse the food. So, again, that's saying getting them good nutrition in yourself and then those being ready to give that to your children. Um, another thing is also as much variety as possible. And most babies and toddlers are pretty unwilling to eat just about, or sorry, they're pretty willing to eat just about anything. So it's offering, um, you know, that variety. I know as a, as a child, you personally, what you used to do is you would blend up all these, you know, whatever you were eating, you would blend up for us too so that we weren't picky eaters. And you'd blend up tacos and bananas and cabbage and, you know, lasagna, right. all this kind of stuff so that we had that, uh, you know, from a young age, we had this taste for variety and really healthy foods too. As we know, a lot of times, um, you know, I think our society, it's, it's interesting, you know, how studies show that we have an epidemic of, of, you know, obesity, but at the same time, there's this big move towards healthier foods and more organic. So it's kind of, you know, everything's always high and always skewed with those things. But um, by offering a lot of times baby foods are filled with preservatives and salts and sugars, which is exactly what you don't want to be feeding your child. A lot of times you might not be aware, but you could be giving them, you know, high fructose syrups, which is the exact opposite. So there's so many little home things now, little blenders, purees that you can make up. That way, you know, if your child isn't chewing yet, you can be mashing up all these fresh vegetables. So that way when you start to um, actually bring in the solids, that they're used to that taste and they enjoy that taste too. Um, you know, I wanted to say, you know, that's uh, as uh, whether you remember or not, but I still have it. I bought just a little small grinder when um, you kids were young and anything I would bring in from the garden, you know, including fruits or vegetables, I would just grind it in that and that was before you had teeth so that you were starting to get the flavors of things early on. And as you said, when you start young, then you tend to like them a lot more. And I remember, and still to this day, one of your brother's favorite foods was broccoli. (laughs) So, you know, which most kids don't like broccoli, but it was because I think whatever you're fed when you're young uh, and and you're taught that it's you know delicious and it's real you'll like it later on so that's why it's really important for parents and to give wide variety too, you know again with enticing kids especially with food names I think a big thing is I know as a kid and I'm sure it still exists today but a lot of cartoons being cartoons about kids 
they would often there'd be vegetables portrayed on the show, but it'd be like, ew, Brussels sprouts, ew, Brussels. You know, it looked, it always made it seem that vegetables were the enemy and candy was the great world war. So even without, a lot of times without ever even trying something, we're conditioned, we see this on TV and they, ew, gross, green, veg, yuck. And so we start thinking, ew, that must be gross. So when we start to hear those words, broccoli, ew, you know, that's disgusting. I thought, I don't want to eat that. Yuck, yuck, yuck. So if you entice kids, you know, with fun names. We like things. I mean, chefs already know this before. You give things kind of a, a more seductive name, and it sounds better. So a lot of times kids want something that's extra special. So if it's, you know, princess peas or x-ray carrots or, you know, dinosaur broccoli, it makes it sound cool. It makes it sound more special. Oh, oh my. Well, and you know what? There really is, like kale, which is so good for you. There really is a, a dinosaur kale. It's also called Tuscan uh, kale, and I actually grow it. But this, the the uh, leaf is so rugged, it looks like the back of a dinosaur. So it's perfect for kids. Yeah, what I say is that when kids, when they have a more fun, something that's more enticing, they're more likely to eat it. And the same thing, too, getting back to showing them how it's done. So a really great way to engage kids is, one, if you have the ability, and we've talked about how even if you live in the city atmosphere, how you can make home gardens. So one of the first things, too, is... Um, making your own little garden, whether it's herbs, potted plants, a citrus thing, show them how it's fun. And then kids also too take pride and almost, almost if it's the pet, they take pride in the ownership of this little vegetable garden and knowing that they're going to make something with it. Um, and then I think too, you know, visiting the farmer's market, so that's always a fun experience. Let them pick out things. Go through, um, cooking books and, you know, talk about plan a meal together. We've Always trying to just the big family thing of meals together with families are so huge. People, again, that gives you time to bond as a family, but as well as eat healthily. And if you make things together, again, that's another connecting bond, and it's going to start from the get-go. Teaching them responsibility is fun. You're making things with your family, but showing them how it's made. So it's not just things come from a box, or you just buy it at a store. That You can make it themselves. They take pride in that. Um, and you just and made a really good point, is that the kids, when they garden, they learn responsibility, they learn dedication, they learn patience. And they take pride in their accomplishments. So those are really great qualities besides the nutrition that they're going to get from growing their own food and vegetables. And another thing, too, is try. We know how kids' appetites are always growing. It seems like the older they get, the more hungrier, you know, especially with boys, it feels like they're just never-ending vacuums towards food. Um, a really great way to kind of bring up new fun things is when they are hungry, when they hit those random times they're hungry, always have fresh fruit and vegetables ready um, there at the house. So that way it's a quick, you know, a quick snack, but that way you can start to integrate new vegetables and fruits into their diet without them really knowing. You know, a lot of times when we are so hungry, we just, anything, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll eat anything, right? I just need something to hold me over. So if you get them that something, you know, it's a broccoli with light ranch dressing. So that's going to, mmm, this is really good. And then they're going to start to ask for that. So try to, you know, wean in new things when they're at the time when they're really hungry. So that way they're willing to try more things because they just want something. There's just something to salivate, something, you know, to, to fixate in their mouth. And that way, you know, then you can kind of test out whether they do or don't, what their hit or misses. 
And then also the Me Too, you know, once we've discussed about putting, you know, a cute name on something, kids, especially at a younger age, um, studies have shown that the shape of things, if they were just given a regular, you know, piece of broccoli or whatever, they, they were less likely to eat it. If they were, if it was cut into a cool shape or made into a face, they were more, they were two times uh, likely to eat the fruits and vegetables. So something you can do, you know, they already do it like Delta, take cookie cutters to make sandwiches with the cookie cutter. Or, you know, when you make them a plate of vegetables, make it into a face or a fun little, you know, picture or something. Or kind of create a little scenario. They have so many little things that can keep kids engaged. That is they really want to fun. Play, sort of and and you know when you talk about food. keeping them engaged and then, you know, even growing something um, that is that will be different and fun. I have just a quick idea I wanted to, sh- to sure. share. And that is... That um, kids usually love, like, uh, make to make popcorn, right? Well, how about uh-huh. if they make their own popcorn grass garden, and you could scatter just some plain popcorn in a container, fill it with soil, and then they could check it every day and water it, and then watch their popcorn plant grow into a plant, and then they could harvest their own popcorn. Perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> and that would be healthy too. Popcorn's healthy. I love it. And you know, and something too, a lot of times always, when it comes to me, I always serve fruits and vegetables first. Make it, you know, the first course. That way they'll fill up on that rather than filling up on breads or, or starchy things. And again, just making it nutritious fun and being aware of textures. When they're at that age where they can't chew yet, again, your puree is the way to go. But when they start, you know, being integrated, when toddlers, when they're eating, kids like textures, as we all do. So make things, you know, crunchy. That's a fun, flavor with things. Also, um, you know, when kids have their sandwich, sometimes they love lasagna or pasta or whatever it may be. Start mixing in vegetables with that or weaning off. Sometimes they may love a certain dressing or a certain sauce. Serving vegetables with that sauce and slowly start taking away some of the sauces and integrating more of the vegetables, more of the healthy food into it to get that way you know, that they're enjoying more and they're consuming more of it. And just have that kind of open dialogue of what they like and what they don't. Always keep yourself positive about it. We're, especially at a young age, we're so impressionable. And the way, you know, our parents view themselves physically, you know, if, if someone's, you know, kind of saying negative things, those negative thoughts get into our heads. So the same thing goes with food. If we see the food our parents eat, we're more likely to eat that. That looks good. That seems like something an adult thing. If we, if you yourself, you know, are not following about them, you're not eating it, we're not going to eat it either. So always kind of keep that open mind if you're trying to present healthy ways of eating that you yourself are participating in that so kids are more likely to engage themselves. I think that is. those are all wonderful tips. And, again, I've, I've spoken about this before, but when you're getting kids to plant a garden, you know, every, every kid I know loves pizza. So if you're going to provide the pepperoni, if, if they eat meat, that's fine. But let them grow their own tomatoes and tomatillos and peppers and onions and garlic. And if they like basil, and then they can make their own pizza. You just help them with the dough, etc. So, Heather, we're out of time. This was a great segment of healthy eating and growing tips and to get our kids involved. So give out the websites, and you can just wrap it up for us. Most definitely. We want to go to BeTheStarYouAre.org as well as BeTheStarYouAre.com. And when we return from break, a four-decade veteran of the gardening world, Ed Rosenthal, joins us with his newest book, Protect Your Garden. My name is Cynthia Bryan. 
And I'm Heather Brittany. And you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Grab your gardening gloves. We're going back in the garden, and we'll be right back. Star you are, be the star you are, you are the star. Are you a teenager with lots to say, but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. Be the star you are. Light up the flame Get a positive prescription for living and discover a cure for adversity when you make a difference in the lives of others by donating to Be the Star You Are, a 501c3 top-rated charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, positive media, and tools for living. www.bethestarur.org. All donations are tax deductible. www.bethestarur.org. Be this business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Be the star you are. You are the star. Get ready to be inspired, entertained, and motivated to greatness with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Turn up the volume. Tune in to the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, back to the program with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Well, thank you so much for staying with us here at Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where the world comes to talk and listen. My name is Cynthia Bryan, and today we're going to be talking with Ed Rosenthal. He has been studying plants since he was a kid, and he writes about safe and resourceful gardening, and he's been doing this for over four decades. He is actually known as a worldwide expert and consultant on growing the most expensive commercial crop out there today. It's marijuana, but that makes him also an expert in everything having to do with the garden. He has written a truly fabulous new book called Protect Your Garden, It's Eco-Friendly Solutions for Healthy Plants, and Ed is with us, of course, to help us troubleshoot anything that's happening in our garden. Welcome, Ed, to Star Style. Be the star you are. It's a pleasure to be with you today, Cynthia. Well, Ed, I was saying to you off the air how much I really, really like your book, and I really love the way that it's laid out. You've got lots and lots of photos of all the different uh, plants and, and pets in there, 
And what this book is, is you've divided it into the different common problems. So you start off with pests, and then you have diseases, and nutrients, and environmental stresses. And then you, you add on all the controls, the eco-friendly solutions, and the beneficial, um, I don't know if you call them pests, but beneficial biologicals is what you call them, that will protect your garden. So what is it when we are uh, gardening, what do you think is the number one tool that we need to start off with before we start worrying about, you know, pests and diseases? You know, what do we really, what does every gardener need to know? The, the, the most important thing is to have the appropriate plant for the site that you're putting it. So that if a plant needs a lot of sun, then you have to make sure that you have uh, a, a location for it. And vice versa, if you have a certain location, let's say it's hot and dry, then you might say, well, I'll put in a, if it's bright, hot, and dry, you might put in a succulent, which wouldn't need as much water. If you have an area that's always uh, wet, you might put in some plants that uh, do well in that environment. So by matching your plant and your environment, you avoid a lot of problems, a lot of work, and a lot of heartache. You know, I'm really glad you brought that up as a first point, and then we'll get into all the different aspects of your book, because I know so many people, especially when they're first starting out, they order plants from different places around the world just because they saw them somewhere and they think they're pretty. But if the plant isn't going to work in your environment and your eco climate, then, you know, you've just wasted that time, money, and now you're going to be frustrated because perhaps your soil won't tolerate it or your, you know, the sun or climate. So, you know, I think that's an important thing for people to know. So let's talk about the beginning of your book, Pests. There are so many pests in the garden. And uh, you, it's alphabetical, and you started it with ants, which I don't know anyone who has not experienced ants in the garden. But what you're saying in here is ants on their own, what they're doing is they're actually creating a place for aphids. Tell us a little bit about ants and their relationship with aphids. Well, you know, first of all, there are many different kinds of ants, and they uh, seek out different environments and different ways of earning a living. But a lot of different ants earn a living by herding aphids and other bugs, such as uh, scale and uh, uh, other uh, true bugs. So what they do is they'll uh, find a group of aphids, and then they'll take them from plant to plant, and as they breed, they'll extend their territory. And they squeeze the aphids. You know, the aphids are always sucking juices, and these juices tend to be have more sugar in them than they have protein. So they, the aphids go through a lot of sugar to get a little protein, and they concentrate that sugar in their poop. And that's what the ants like. They like that sweetness. So they squeeze the aphids, and the aphids uh, excrete the, uh, that, sh- that sugar. It's called honeydew. Um, and then they take it. Uh, the ants will take that back to, the, to their nests. And 
So uh, the ants also protect the aphids from predators because um, they're considered a delicacy by a lot of uh, predators. So in return, um, you know, for for the herding, the uh, the aphids, first of all, they get protection and they get relocated to new uh, verdant areas. Well, and aphids are definitely um, a nemesis to gardeners, as are many, many other pests that you talk about. In here, one of the big pests, I know we're in uh, Northern California, and there's so many deer. And people I talk to all the time, it seems to be in any conversation, they can't figure out what to do about the deer. So let's talk about those, you know, those deer deer. Well... First of all, it depends on what the food pressure is because it's a risk-reward ratio for the deer, and that's how they evaluate it. If, if there's a fence, and even if it isn't too sturdy, but there's a lot of other vegetation before the fence, then they'll stick with the other vegetation. If they're hungry, they're going to take more risks. And there are only a few things that actually will keep deer out of your garden. The first is, of course, is a sturdy fence. And right, that's always the big one, the fence. That, right, and that fence should be at least eight feet high. And it, depending on the uh, area that you're of the country that you're in, deer range in weight from up to three hundred pounds in the far nor- north to under uh, under one hundred fifty pounds. This is for the males in the south, and so that the amount of mass and bulk that they have to uh, to try to break through a fence it depends on the area. And then the, the two other things that will keep deer away from your garden are the smell of putrescent eggs and the smell of uh, predator urine or blood. And yeah. there, are num- there are a number of different uh, uh, deer repellents that that are composed of those uh, of those ingredients. Other than that, all of the other deer repellents don't really work well, and that includes, like, you know, they have these sprays, these motion motivated sprays and flashing lights. But the deer become attenuated to them after a while. They realize that they're not going to really do anything, and they be- become bolder and. Uh, go through it. So, as I said, the only three things are the fence, the putrescent eggs, and and, uh, predator urine or blood. Well, we're speaking with Ed Rosenthal. His newest book is Protect Your Garden. It's eco-friendly solutions for healthy plants. And one of the things that is just so wonderful about your, your book, Ed, is what you're describing now is in every single section, he talks about how common are the pests or whatever it is he's talking about, what do they look like, what kinds of plants they attack, where they're found, what do they do to the plant, a general discussion, and then the prevention, and then also in just very simple, easy to use uh, language, you talk about the controls, both beneficial uh, biologicals and other things that are out there, as well as things that don't work. And I think that's so important, Ed, and I thank you for that because there's so many things on the market and so many things don't work. 
When you talk about eggs, could somebody just use rotten eggs and throw them around? Uh, you know, you want to get that sulfurous, uh, putrescent smell. So you really have to sort of ferment the, the eggs in order to do it. I think for the for the convenience of it and the cost of it, I think that it's easier to buy to buy the uh, pesticide, the deer. Okay, deer that's a, a good I mean, you could one. do it, but you know, you have to get those eggs really smelly and right. everything. I, I don't think you want to do it. You know, if, I guess you could do it outside, but why bother? Why bother? Right, why bother? Earwigs. You know, people really feel like earwigs are going to be detrimental, but something that you're saying in the book is, you know, they, they burrow into bulbs and to fruits, but are they that destructive? Well, I, I haven't ever heard of anybody having a crop room from earwigs. And they also go at, you know, they're omnivores, and they go after anything smaller that they can get into their mouths. And so uh, I think that they're probably neutral in the garden. And, you know, people shouldn't be... You're going to have insects in the garden, so you have to determine whether the insects are harmful or not. And most of the insects perform valuable tasks tasks in the garden. They help digest... Some of them help digest uh, dead vegetation or or uh or uh a fauna you know for instance did you ever see uh some small dead insect and then the ants take it apart and carry it away well that what they're doing is they're bringing that back to their nest and eventually all of that nutrient from that dead material goes back into the soil and so there are a lot of it and there are a lot of insects a lot of beetles that you see around that are not harmful to plants and so a lot of them are predators as well. That is, they go after other insects. So you have to determine whether your garden is really being harmed by the insects. In your beneficial, um, your in the beneficial pests in the garden. They're not pests in the garden, but they're yes. beneficial insects. You talk about beetles, and so many people are, are afraid of beetles. Tell us more about the beetles. Well. Uh, beetles are among the most prevalent uh, insects around, and they're found in all areas. And uh, there are more spe- probably more species of beetles than any other insect. And so they occupy every niche from predator to, uh, to, to pest. So, so you'll have things like Japanese beetles, but then there are also a lot of predator beetles. And so when you see a beetle, you, before you make a decision of, about whether it's harmful or not, you have to have a, take a good look at it and see if you can de- determine what it's doing or what kind of beetle it is. And uh, a lot of beetles keep, uh, keep insect pests under control. It, you know, if, let's say you see some insects in your garden, but you don't really see any damage to your plants. And the plants look healthy and healthy. There's nothing for you to do. You don't have to. Uh, you're not trying to make your garden sterile. It's a living eco- ecosystem, and insects are part of it. So unless the insects are out of control and are really harming your plants in a significant way, 
it's best not to try to to get rid of them. Exactly, because I think too, if you don't have insects, you won't have birds, and it's in, you know it's important to have birds in your garden. Caterpillars are something that uh, I think that we should talk about for a minute too, because obviously caterpillars they turn into beautiful butterflies or they can turn into moths. And many gardeners, they don't want caterpillars in their garden because caterpillars are just very, very hungry all the time. Oh, Yen, you talk about the different moths and caterpillars in in your book. Again, the name of the book is Protect Your Garden, Eco-Friendly Solutions for Healthy Plants. Are there certain caterpillars that you suggest that people would put, you know, pull them off the plants and not allow them to become the moth or the butterfly? Well, generally, um, most of the caterpillars that are going to be on your plants uh, are actually, uh, you should consider them pests. And if, if there are only, even if there are only a few, they have such a voracious appetite that especially in the spring when the plants are young and small, they can do serious damage. And of course, if there's a, if there are a lot of them, then as a group they can do serious damage even to mature plants. So gardeners should not tolerate uh, caterpillars in the garden. They, one thing that you can do is if you feel that there are only a few, is you can try, try to either shake them off your plant or pick them off your plant. But if you feel that there are more than you can handle... Well, let's give out your website so that people can go to your website and get your books. The website, there are two websites that we want to use for Ed's book. And you can go to pestanddisease.diseases.com. I'm going to let you spell that. You go ahead and say that, Ed. It's uh, pestanddisease.com. P-E-S-T-A-N-D-D-I-S-E-A-S-E dot com. And then the other one is quicktrading.com, Q-U-I-C-K-T-R-A-D-I-N-G dot com. And there you can see all of the different books that Ed has written. And he is, he as I've said, he is just a... Uh, a such an incredible expert on gardening, and this particular book is going to be a reference book for so many forever because it is eco-friendly solutions for the garden, and the way it's laid out is just simple for a beginner gardener, whether you are a novice or an expert, and it has all the different diseases, the nutrients, and we didn't even get to any of the environmental stresses or the beneficial controls, but there's so much here, and you've just done fantastic photos, Ed. Thank you so much for putting this all together. Well, it was my pleasure to do it. Well, and you're, I know that people are going to absolutely love it, because now, as you have said, and I believe it, every gardener has a new weapon in his arsenal to make sure that we can grow a healthy, happy garden. So, Ed Rosenthal, go to quicktrading.com or pestanddisease.com. Thank you, Ed, for being on Star Style. Be the star you are. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for awesome. having me, and ha- thank you for having this show. I think that it's great what you're doing. 
Oh, well, thank you, Ed. Thank you. And thanks for all your botanical research that you have done. And also for your zero tolerance, the natural pesticides that you do, um, you know, because you make this, you have, you have your own, um, uh, your, I don't want to say a technique. You have your own sprays and things that are made from essential herb oils and it smells good. And I want to really plug that as well. So, you can go to z-tolerance.com or, again, just see everything that Ed does at quicktrading.com. So, Ed, thanks again for being on. And, everyone, pick up a copy of Protect Your Garden. My name is Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. And when we come back from our little short break, we're going to stay in the garden. And now we're going to learn how to build soils naturally. So stay with me. We'll be back in a bit. The star you are, the star you are, be the star you are, you are the star. Looking for unique one-of-a-kind gifts for the special woman in your life? The Carmony Collection creates handmade handbags, clutches, candles, and canvases from vintage and recycled fabrics, bangles, and beads. Be eco-friendly and fashionable with prices for all pocketbooks. Visit www.carmonycollection.com. That's Carmony with a K and Collection with a K. Or call 925-785-7827. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations. With personalized sessions by phone or in person, you'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. BeTheStarYouAre.org Be the lucky star you Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Be the star you are. You are the star. Turn up the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Well, this is Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. It's a whole garden show today. We are digging in the dirt. We're outside with our gloves and our hat and our spade and just enjoying the natural world. Well, our next guest, Phil Nada, grew up working for his parents in their garden center. 
He maintained nursery stock, landscaping. He groomed their nine-hole golf course. He got his business degree in organic landscape management, went on to get many other certificates in uh, permaculture design and sustainable building and, and organic land care. He's got all these different credentials. He had an organic gardener's pantry selling organic uh, fertilizers. And now he's written a book called Building Soils Naturally. It's innovative methods for organic gardeners. So we're staying very organic today. Welcome, Phil, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Hey, thanks for having me, Cynthia. Well, I'm really glad to have you on. When I read your all your bio, my goodness, you're certified in just about everything. I don't know what you're not. You're certified the Society for Organic and Urban Land Care. You've really been doing this since you were a child, so I could almost say that it's in your genes and it's in your blood. I think it is. I think it is. I love just continuing to learn about all this stuff. There's so much to learn, so... Uh, that's why I'm always getting these new certifications and taking new courses and all that. Yeah, and you know, I love that attitude because I don't think however, however long we live, we ever know it all. And no matter, especially in nature and in gardening, there's always something new to learn. And, you know, that I think is what's really important. And, you know, um, just reading the very beginning of your book, Building Soils Naturally, you pointed out something very interesting that I bet you most uh, listeners wouldn't even know, even if they had read a lot of history or if they'd done a lot of gardening, and that was that the Romans reportedly used salt uh, to these to salt the land of their enemies to create soil that wouldn't grow healthy crops. And I thought, wow, because today, you know, that's what gardeners are doing when they're using all these chemicals, these fertilizers, these insecticides and pesticides, so that today our soil is very, very flawed. It is, it's not healthy soil. What's going on? What are we doing wrong? And I know it's a whole book on how to fix it, but let's start as, you know, as simple as possible. What are some of your ideas? Well, you said it great right there. It's the, it's the use of the chemical fertilizers especially uh, and also the pesticides that not only do they harm the life in the soil, the plants and the insects, like you guys were just talking about, all these great insects, but the soil itself, they burn up the organic matter, they salt the soil, they hurt the earthworms and the microorganisms in the soil. And so now that we're finding that we've lost a lot of our topsoil, a lot of our good organic matter, we need to think of another way to do this. And so that's why this whole organic movement has been growing really in North America for probably 60 years now, but it's just catching on more and more these days. And so we're moving to fertilizers that are, that actually are actually really good for the soil and occasional use of some pesticides that are actually good, you know, good for the soil or at least not harmful. Well, you know, you said that you really got, went, you know, head on into the organic world in about 2006. But boy, when you did go, you really, you've gone full steam ahead. Now, your, some of your expertise is in science and mathematics. So you really like the whole numbers thing and you like getting to the science behind what's going on. Um, you know, when we buy a fertilizer, you usually see that the, the three things, the nitrogen, the phosphorus, and the potassium. But what you're talking about is that's not the three, I mean, yes, you need them, but that's not the only thing that we need to start building the soil. 
Yeah, that's right. And certainly those three are very important, but there are a few others that are just as important. And really, when you look at it, there are over 80 minerals, most of which are probably important in just trace amounts. And so in organic gardening, in terms of the major nutrients, we actually focus more on calcium and phosphorus than we do on the nitrogen and the potassium. We find those are actually very important. Um, but we also focus on all these little micronutrients um, like iron and copper and zinc, and we make sure that we're using fertilizers uh, and composts and things like that that supply all of them because we, especially when you're growing food, you want all of those things in your food. Well, and this is one of your major things is your goal in organic farming and organic growing is to provide the healthiest, most nutritious food that we possibly can have, which, you know, today when we go to the supermarket and we see these very beautiful fruits and vegetables, they may be pretty, but they're not filled with the nutrition that they need as they as we had had in the past ever since, you know, there's all this genetically modified uh, food and seeds, etc. You talk about the soil, the web of uh, the soil and how there, how there are all these um, microwebs. Tell us about that. Yeah, there's two parts to that. So the first part you mentioned, um, less nutrition in the food. I'd just like to touch on how that's also the case for a lot of organic food, even if you're buying organic from the grocery store, because we have this kind of industrial process being applied to organic food, and so there's not necessarily a focus on getting nutrient-dense food. And so that's really what I'm interested in doing is growing food that's much more nutritious than food from the grocery store, even organic food. The second part about the, the soil food web is something that's really interesting, especially in the last 10 or 20 years. We're learning that the it's not only the chemistry in the soil, the calcium and the phosphorus and all that, that's important, but it's also the biology in the soil. So that's the bacteria and the fungi, these microorganisms that you can't see. For the most part, you don't see with your eye. And also insects and animals, earthworms. Um, this whole, we call it the soil food web, and it includes plants. They all are very interdependent. They work together. They cooperate quite a bit. They also compete. And that whole process really allows us to grow healthy food because these organisms ultimately are feeding plants and protecting plants from predators, too. And but, but what's happening so much today is we have so much contamination in the soil and not perhaps not enough uh, organic matter. I mean, people, you know, they're especially in residential gardens where everybody wants like this perfect clean garden, you know, that they're not allowing nature just to do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, that's exactly it. There are many reasons why our soil food web is often lacking in the number of microorganisms and the diversity of microorganisms that we would like to have. And you just touched on it. It's certainly chemical use, pesticide use. Uh, it's removing you know, removing the lawn, the grass clippings from your lawn and removing the leaves from your gardens and other things that um, are often considered good, even by organic gardeners, like tilling. Tilling is very hard on fungi and earthworms. Uh, you have drip irrigation to save water, but if you're only watering right around the plants and you're not watering your whole soil, then you're not giving those microorganisms what they need. Uh, and as you say, there's contamination, there's pollution, there's monocultures. A number of different things are contributing to a uh, a soil food web that is just lacking in that biodiversity we really want. Well, you in your book, we're, and we're speaking with author Phil Nada, who is 
not only an expert gardener, farmer, lecturer, he kind of does it all. <laughs> he does it all, and he's been studying and working in with um, with diversity in nature and in gardens since he was a, a tiny child. The book is called Building Soils Naturally, Innovative Methods for Organic Gardeners. You talk about uh, how people can reintroduce things into their garden from earthworms to beneficial insects to making helping the soil be rich and um, and healthy again between making you know adding compost or mulches but you also talk about things that maybe aren't so good for the soil like maybe not too many wood chips that we see on most landscapes what kinds of you know what kinds of mulches what kind of compost what kind of percentages are we talking that we should be uh, putting together well, in terms of wood chips, I, uh, I certainly, if, if somebody wanted to offer me a bunch of free wood chips, I'd probably take them and compost them for a few years. Uh, you know, it's great to recycle that kind of thing. But for putting as a mulch directly on your soil, an issue with wood chips, there can be a couple. Uh, the main one is that they're very high in carbon. And so when the soil food web goes to break that, those wood chips down, they'll often take all the nitrogen they can get out of the soil to help them break down the wood chips, and so that nitrogen gets stolen away from your plants. So maybe, you know, five or ten years later, that won't matter as much, but in those first few years, that can cause some severe nitrogen deficiencies in your plants. Also, wood chips, and especially a lot of people use the bark, like the pine bark or the cedar bark. Um, You know, a tree's first line of defense against predators is its bark, and so it concentrates a lot of toxins in there. And so if you're putting that down on your garden there can be an issue. Now, if you're putting cedar bark under cedar trees, that's probably okay. Uh, in fact, I don't mind wood chips so much under trees, like in an orchard. A little bit of wood chip can be good. It can actually encourage fungi, which you want in an orchard. But for, for perennials and for vegetables, I like to go with a more natural mulch, which would be the best one would be leaves. If you walk into a forest, you're not going to find two inches of wood chips on the ground. You're, you're actually going to find many inches of leaves that have been falling over the years and breaking down. And they don't cause as big of a deficiency of the nitrogen. Uh, They don't have as many toxins in them. They break down more quickly and they provide the nutrition. It's all a very, you know, that's how nature recycles. So uh, that's my favorite mulch is leaves. It actually looks really natural too. Uh, The other one I don't mind. And they're free. I mean, leaves fall and so many people just rake up their leaves and put them in the green bin and get rid of them when they could just be recycling them back into the garden or using them in the compost pile. Oh, yeah, they're, they're just the best. And if you have too many, you can just mow them right into the lawn and they'll be fine right there. Some people will even, um, you know, rake them to the curb in the, the city or someone takes them away and makes, makes kind of a leaf mold over winter and then that the gardener will buy those leaves back for quite a lot of money sometimes in the spring as leaf mold, but it'd be better just to keep them on your gardens over winter, let them protect your soil, put the extra into a pile, into a compost bin, and, it, yeah, it's one of the best things you can do. Right, right, right. Well, you know, I always laugh at people when you see, I mean, there's always the people out mowing their lawns and they've got the bags on the back of their lawn mowers, and then the next thing, they're putting chemical fertilizers on the lawn, you know, to to boost it up because it's filled with dandelions or whatever. And the secret would, to probably having that healthy lawn would be just to be mowing the leaves and the grass clippings and leaving them on the lawn so that they could naturally decompose and feed the lawn. 
Yeah, absolutely. Those those grass clippings will supply most of the nutrient needs, even the nitrogen needs of a lawn. They don't contribute to thatch or anything like that. There's a bit of a mist that they do. If you happen to have too much when the grass is really growing in the spring, you could put some into a compost bin. But for the most part, it's really important to leave them right there for the nutrition and for that organic matter. Uh, if you go into a into a wild prairie or a pasture of some kind, those have some of the best, deepest organic topsoils because that grass is just dying back every season, and uh, that's the way it should be. You, in your book, Building Soils Naturally, you also talk about the testing of your soil and the pH of your soil. You know, I don't think most people understand pH anyway, and they'll either say, oh, I have acidic soil or I have alkaline soil. How important is it that somebody actually gets a meter and, you know, really learns what the pH is? It's going to be changing constantly. Yeah, well, if you're just a casual gardener, you don't, you probably don't have to get into much soil testing at all. If you're like me and you really want to grow the most nutritious food possible and you want to uh, make it so that pests don't attack your garden, you're going to have to do some balancing of the soil. And to do that, you need to know what you have. That's where the soil testing comes in. The pH is actually probably one of the most misused numbers in gardening because it really doesn't give you hardly anything of use. Um, If you know that your soil, if you take a pH test and you find your soil has a pH of 5, you do know that you need to add something, some fertilizers to raise that, but you don't know what you need to add. What a lot of people will do is they'll go and add some dolomite lime, um, but it's actually possible that you already have, for example, too much magnesium in your soil. You're bringing that dolomite in and it just adds more magnesium and actually causes more problems because too much magnesium causes compaction and uh, other issues like that. So the pH number really should be ignored. If you want to make good fertilizing decisions, you need to do it based on uh, a full soil test. You know, uh, you the, I, we're getting to the end of the hour here, but what you have said in Building Soils Naturally is that if you increase the organic matter and the hummus content of your soil, it is probably one of your most important goals that you can do. And, of course, you can use straw for for making a great mulch and, and the leaves as you were talking about. Let's send people to your website. And as I had already said at the top of the hour, his nickname, Phil's nickname is The Smiling Gardener. So his website is smilinggardener.com, and that's with two Gs. So smiling and then gardener.com. And to see the book, it's just forward slash book, and you can uh, be in touch and see all the see all the things that Phil is doing and all the information because the bottom line is is if we want to be healthy, we have to eat healthy. So, Phil, thank you for coming on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, talking about building soils naturally, innovative methods for organic gardeners. It really is an exceptional book, very scientific and and very very well researched. And it's obvious you you know exactly what you're talking about and you know how to uh, to make a garden healthy and happy for everyone. So thank you for writing this book and giving us the energy to be organic, healthy gardeners. Well, thanks for having me today, Cynthia. It's been a blast. Well, thank you, Phil. Thank you. Now, again, the name of the book, 
Building Soils Naturally, Innovative Methods for Organic Gardening by Phil Nauta. His last name spelled N-A-U-T-A. Go to smilinggardener.com. I'm sorry that we're out of time. Whenever we're talking gardening, it just goes way too fast. But for all of you out there, thank you for being fantastic listeners. Make sure you're tuned in to Star Style every Thursday, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific here on World Talk Radio. For every beauty, there's an eye somewhere to see it. For every truth, there's an ear to hear it. And for every love, there's a heart to receive it. So smiles keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you, be the star you are. Happy gardening and happy growing. Thank you for tuning in every week for the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Our goal is to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to reach for the stars and shine brightly. For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. You're invited to our Power Party next week and every week right here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel with the dynamic duo, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, our health hero, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers on the planet. We'll pour more champagne for the spirit with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until we play again, be the star you are. You are.